You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. Uh, yeah, this is the last time that I tell Rob my jokes before Sunday because he stole the, the seat, comfy chair, long sermon one from me. That's terrible. Then threw me under the bus. Yeah, uh, first service actually ended on time. I managed to not go through it. Um, yeah, I ran this, the first time I ran through this, it was something like 76 minutes when I finally said, okay, that's enough of that. Uh, <clears throat> so we're, we're a little shorter than that today. Don't worry. Uh, we'll get out of here on time. But that does mean we have a long way to go. We've got a lot to cover today, uh, but it's, it's uh, some interesting stuff that we're talking about. We're continuing our story through Genesis uh, with the story of Jacob that we are now in. Uh, we left off last week with uh, Jacob had run away. Uh, he had fled from his brother's wrath after stealing Esau's blessing. Uh, he was sent off and then he, he comes in contact with God on the road and, uh, you know, he accepts God's call and he puts up this altar and he's going to move on with the path that God has put before him. And obviously he has uh, figured this all out and everything is going to go swimmingly for him from now on. Um, yeah, not so much. So uh, we're going we're gonna to cover this next section of the story today, and I'm, I've broken it into three parts for us to, uh, to, to digest through. And so part one, uh, Jacob arrives at his uncle Laban's house, and we're going to dive right into Genesis 29 here. <clears throat> when Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east... Uh, and as he looked, he saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it for out of that well, the flocks were watered, watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, big stone. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we're from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. Uh, he said to them, is it well with him? Well, is that a pun? Is that a pun? Did Jacob throw a pun? I'm <laughs> Squirrel. Sorry, we can't get distracted. Anyway, uh, there's Jacob made a pun. Anyway, they said it is well and see Rachel, his daughter is coming with the sheep. Enter stage right. Rachel. Ooh, la la. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. What are you guys doing here? Go take the sheep out to pasture. They should be eating. And they said, but we can, um, but they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. This is not a one person job to move this stone. They got to do it all together. So they got to water all the sheep at once. <clears throat> then we water the sheep while he was still speaking with them. Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. 
there might be something there since it's repeating that over and over and over again. Uh, I'll let you figure that out. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Odd way to greet somebody. Okay. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman. Uh, another translation might say his brother. And that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced and kissed him and brought him into his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Surely you and I are cut from the same cloth. <clears throat> all right. So things to note from part one here, Jacob moves the stone by himself. This is a huge feat of strength. This is not a one person job. And Jacob just heave hoes that stone, which that is ironic, Scott, that we were moving stones to build your patio yesterday. I am still sore. My legs hurt so bad right now. And the move it like though. Mm, so moving stones, apparently it's a theme. Thanks God. That's cool. 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 So Jacob does this huge feat of strength. Uh, this is Jacob, not Esau, Jacob, the tent dweller. The mama's boy, the, the book nerd, the guy who likes hanging out in the tent. This is not the jock, but apparently Jacob has some strength. Apparently Jacob has this strength and, and it's reminding us that he has the strength. We've seen this chutzpah, this inner strength that Jacob has. He has this potential to be a strong leader. He has all the potential in the world. He could heave this stone out of the way. He could be a strong leader, but he historically falls back on manipulation and deception and all the things that we've seen in the previous stories, right? We've seen these things. He does these to avoid conflict a lot of times. <clears throat> Next thing to take note of, Jacob meets Rachel and then wept aloud. Another translation might be, and he lifted up his voice and cried. Uh, that's how uh, Rabbi David Foreman says that it is translated. That's how he, he goes from the Hebrew to English. And it is, uh, this is not the Disney sort of weeping, right? Like, oh, tears of happiness from seeing Rachel. That's not what this is implying. It might, it might be from how we, how we read it in English. So like you might get that impression, but that's not what's going on here because that phrase is the exact same phrase that Esau does. He lifts his voice and cries, Esau does this when he finds out that Jacob took the blessing. It's the exact same. You can go look at it. It's the exact same phrase. The, the, the subject is changed. If you want to look at it that way, somehow what the text is doing here is it is connecting the story of the blessing and the story of what Jacob is experiencing here or about to experience. These two stories are being connected. They're being woven together. We're going to talk about this a whole lot more in footnotes this week. It's going to be a mid Rashi full. We got all sorts of fun things to talk about there. Um, but uh, what we need to know is that these stories are being connected through this phrase, through a couple of other things. Next thing to take note of Jacob waters the sheep. This is very similar to how his mother watered the camels when she was being picked as Isaac's wife being the, the stories are being intertwined here. We're being called back to this. Uh, also just as a side note, it's at a well, which is the most romantic place in the Bible. Everybody gets hitched 
at the well. If you don't know about that, you can ask Paul or, uh, or myself. Paul will talk for a lot longer about it than me. I'll just make a bad joke about <laughs> bars being the modern day well. Um, but this, the, it's happening at the well. This is the romantic place. Uh, and then Laban welcomes him as his own flesh and blood. This is such good foreshadowing. Like, surely you are of my bone and my flesh. Surely, Jacob, we are cut from the same cloth. We are bros, dude. We, you and me, we see eye to eye. We do things the same way. Foreshadowing. So part two, Jacob gets hitched. Twice. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, a.k.a. she was not a looker. And, uh, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Ooh la la. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, we will serve you, uh, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. A side note, what Laban says there, he doesn't exactly say, yeah, you, th- that, that, what a deal. It's kind of this like sidestep a little bit. It's, it's this manipulative half truth. Like, yeah, that's a true statement, but he didn't really agree to it. Like, a little sketchiness just if, as you're looking back on it. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him, but a few days because of the love he had for her. Oh, that's so Disney. Time flies when you're deeply in love or deeply in servitude. Uh, 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed, which is possibly the most romantic marriage proposal ever. Uh, so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, shocker, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve, uh, with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not done. It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, the wedding week of this one. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. That sneaky devil. Jacob did so and completed the wedding week. Uh, then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. And scene two. <clears throat> All right, a couple of things to take note of here. Jacob has to work for a wife. Now, there's a lot of speculation that we will talk about in footnotes on surrounding this, but let's just take note that is weird because he just came from being blessed by his father and he also has the birthright and they send him off to go get a wife. Why does he not have a dowry? Why does he have to work for this wife? Intriguing question. Compare that to when Abraham sends Eliezer, his servant, to go get a wife for Isaac, to go get Rebecca. 
and he takes all sorts of camels and riches. This is, this is a, a weird twist, right? Something's different here. Uh, but compared to back in Genesis 24. Uh, and, and this is the same, actually, the, Laban is the same character. Eliezer goes and negotiates with Laban for Rebecca, his sister. And then the same thing, it's the same sneaky guy, but for whatever reason, Jacob has to work for this. Interesting. Next thing to take note of is that there are some deep similarities between the story of Laban deceiving Jacob with this wife swap and the story of Jacob taking the blessing from Esau. At surface level, both of these cons are ridiculous. You remember uh, Rob saying, throwing a mop on his face and throwing a guitar on and trying to convince you that he was me, right? That's how, about how ridiculous putting goat skins on and trying to convince your dad to not recognize your voice. That was, that was silly, right? Compare that to this one. How do you, you've spent seven years with these people and you somehow don't notice that it's the other sister when you're enamored with Rachel, like you don't notice this is her. This is an odd con. How, how did this work? Uh, we'll talk about some theories and footnotes on that, but it's weird. A couple of things though. Uh, it's, hypothetically in the dark, it's at, the, it's at night, so it's in the dark, and Jacob can't see. That's kind of what we would assume from the text. Compare that to Jacob hoodwinking his dad, who is a blind man who can't see. Neither one of these people can see. There's blindness involved. In both stories, there are two siblings. One is more beloved than the other. In both stories, the more beloved sibling is replaced by the lesser beloved sibling. These stories are being knitted together. Laban replaces the younger child with an older. And when, uh, when he, when asked why he responds by saying, we don't do it that way in our place. I don't know about where you come from, but around here, we don't do things that way. Right? Like that's, that's exactly like, he's just, he, do we work for seven years? And yeah, that, that's not how we do things, Jacob. Sorry. You got to take the first one. There's an order. You can't get the one. It's like a vending machine. They just come off in order. You can't get the second one back. That's a terrible analogy. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, this is a subtle dig though at Jacob for what he just did. Like the younger surplotted the older. This is a subtle dig at him, Right. Laban is not only a sneaky, shrewd businessman, he has also got this quick wit and a cutting tongue. Oh man, so good. So good. Jacob has met his match maker. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then remember this lifted up his voice and cried. Uh, a lot of the rabbis will say that Esau's tears over losing his blessing and Jacob's tears when he met Rachel, which is kind of weird because it's at the beginning of the story, but more on that in footnotes, but the tears that they shed over this, the hurt that they experience, it's tit for tat. Like Jacob is receiving his comeuppance. Uh, so at this point, if you don't see the connection between these two stories, then I have a bridge to sell you while I'm wearing goat skins in the dark. So stories are knit together. Uh, 
And we should remember that at the core of the story of Jacob stealing the blessing uh, is this idea that there wasn't enough, right? There's not, uh, there's not enough blessing. There's only one blessing. There's not enough blessing to go around. There's not enough to be provided for everyone. There's not enough. It's this view, this lens of scarcity, we remember that was at the core of this. Uh, it, the, core, the core problem was loving one and not loving the other, that there's not enough love to go around. So if these two stories are knit together, <clears throat> and that was the problem in the blessing story, that was at the core of it, at the heart of it, what problem can we expect to see Jacob get a chance to redeem in this next story? Let's find out. Part three, entitled Mama Drama. Genesis 29, 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And then this, this section, we're, we're going to kind of piecemeal this because it gets a little confusing. So let's throw that next graphic up there. All right. So Leah then gives birth to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And after each of these births, she has a phrase that kind of goes along with their birth, kind of the, the meaning of their birth, their name, uh, where, where this comes from, their kind of life statement, if you will. Think of it that way. And after Reuben is born, she says, the Lord has noticed my misery and now my husband will love me. Ooh, that's, that's, that, that's not, that's not great. And then Simeon, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Ooh, not great again. Levi is born and she says, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. The Lord's not even mentioned in that one. Ugh, she is not in a good place. She's having kids just to, she's, desperately trying to earn the affection of her husband. And then when Judah is born, little plot twist here, she says, this time I will praise the Lord. More on that in footnotes, but that's kind of cool. All right. And then we pick it up in Genesis 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob, no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Little, little dramatic maybe, but okay. Uh, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Uh, fruit of the womb is actually the child version of uh, fruit of the loom. Just it's the ancient, ne never mind. Uh, Jen thought it was funny. Uh, then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So this is why the text told us earlier that Laban gave his daughters these servants. It made note of that. And that was a little odd. We now know why, because they become big players. Let's go to that next. Uh, so Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Let's go to that next graphic. We've got team Leah. We've got team Rachel. And through her surrogate mother, Bilhah, she has Dan and Naphtali. And Rachel also has some statements <clears throat> when her kids are born, she says, when Dan is born, God has vindicated me vindication, right? He has heard my request and given me a son. All right. 
Naphtali is born and she says, I have struggled hard with my sister and I'm winning. Two things. Odd statement. Sounds super healthy to have a competition here between the two, the two siblings. Also, how is she? There's four, two. I don't know how she thinks she's winning personally because uh, the numbers don't. I, I don't know. Maybe Dan and Neftali were really big children. Uh, Genesis 39, we continue. Then Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, uh, and she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Oh, good. Oh, good. This is going to get much simpler. Let's go to the next graphic. All right, so we got Team Leah, we got Team Rachel, and now we got a surrogate on Leah's side. Super great, super great. So Zilpah has Asher and Gad, Gad and Asher in that order. And, and Leah at the birth of Gad says, good fortune has come. Stick the knife in. Hey, sis. Hey, sis, good fortune has come. And then Asher, she says, happy am I, for women have called me happy. Everyone's celebrating with me because I'm having more kids. Neener, neener, poo, poo, Right? This is a super healthy situation that we have on our hands here. <clears throat> Take note, Jacob is, where's Jacob in all of this? Let's see where, let's see where he's at. Uh, Genesis 30, 14 through 16. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben, the first son that was born, went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. So this is, he's old enough to be out picking mandrakes. This is taking some time. <clears throat> This is years and years that this is happening in. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she, Leah, said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? These guys are getting along great. Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field uh, in the evening, Leah went out to him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Not a word exchange. He just did it. What the heck? So Leah then gives birth to Issachar and Zebulun, which is a great name. <clears throat> and she says, after Issachar's birth, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. What? God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. Oh, okay. And then Zebulon, God has given me a good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect for I have given him six sons. Oh man, she's still, she's still vying for his attention through this. Like she still desperately wants the love of her husband and is doing it. the only thing that she can, that she can think of to earn it. I kind of hurt for her. Like she's in a rough spot and it is consuming her. <clears throat> then we get Genesis 30, 22 and 23. God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So Rachel gives birth to Joseph. 
And when Joseph is born, she says, may the Lord add yet another son to my family. Okay. So a couple of things to note from part three here. Jacob leaves home to avoid chaos and conflict, right? He, he flees to get away from his brother because he's afraid there's going to be chaos and conflict. And what does he end up with? But more chaos and conflict. Huh? wonder what the, the common denominator is here between the two might be him. Jacob finds himself in the middle of this conflict and he is completely blind to his role in it. Look, look back at what the text said when he, when it says uh, in verse 31 and 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. When Leah was hated, not just he loved Rachel more when Leah was hated, which, okay, he got hoodwinked by Laban and she was the outcome of that. I could probably understand how he would look at her and go, yeah, that reminds me of a time that I got taken for a ride by my uncle. Cool. Some bad feelings there. She's hated by who though? She's hated by Jacob. And then in verse two of 30, it says, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, the one that he loves, his anger is kindled against her when she says like, I, I give me children or I'll die. And, and he said, am I in the place of God who is withheld from you? Am I in the place of God who is withheld from you? The fruit of the womb. Basically saying, how is this my fault? How is this my fault? God is punishing you. He's blame shifting. He's scapegoating. He's, he's pushing this off. This is Rachel's fault somehow. Completely missing the fact it completes completely missing the reason why this is going on. And then, and then we get the, the Mandrake situation, which is ridiculous. And he says, or she says, you must come into me for I've hired you with my son's Mandrakes. Jacob is letting himself be argued about and literally bought and sold without a word, like, it, it, with no, nothing to say or do about it. He's the, the sitcom husband that's just, doop, 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 you know, has no idea. He's just playing dumb, sitting in the background, letting things happen to him. Does that sound like a patriarch? Does that sound like God's chosen patriarch? Jacob, where is your chutzpah? What the heck? Where's, the, where's that Jacob that moved a stone? I don't think that same Jacob would let himself be bickered over and bought for mandrakes. That is not a patriarch sounding the sort of thing. He's completely blind to the role that he's in, which is an odd comparison to the blindness of Isaac. <clears throat> Other things to note in this story, we have a barren wife who is very much loved, which should immediately tie us back to the story of Sarah earlier on in Genesis. This should connect us back there, the story of what happened with Sarah. And then uh, we have a story with wives telling their husband to sleep with their servants, with their handmaids, in order to have children, which should also take us back to Sarah and Hagar. And in, in the story of Sarah and Hagar, which Jacob has to be familiar with, that's his grandmother, like that's his family history, like just not that far away. Like this is a story that's going to be passed down. 
where his, his uncle Ishmael came from, uh, that created conflict and tension and it was a mess. And he's letting the same thing happen. It's not like this is, he has a role. He has a part to play in this. I mean, he's kind of an important character in the whole having children aspect. So this conflict just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, it's the same thing as Sarah and Hagar, but on an exacerbated, blown up scale. Jacob is living out a legacy that his family has carried with them, but it isn't a good one. <clears throat> We're seeing a legacy continue, but it's, it's not the right legacy. <clears throat> and, and lastly, the conflict between these two sisters is planting seeds that have huge consequences for this family later on in the story. This is going to create conflict within all of those brothers. It's going to create conflict between them. It's going to, it's going to echo through the next generation. And Jacob could have stopped all of this little bit of my opinion here, but I think Jacob could have stopped all of this by simply loving both his wives. Yeah, you got a raw deal because Laban tricked you. <clears throat> but now you have to love and take care of both of your wives. And it's going to be a little, it's going to require a little more hard work on your part, Jacob, because now you got to deal with two wives and you got to love them both. You got to love them both well. But I think he could have stemmed all, like he could have cut all of this off at the stem. Once again, we have a, a conflict from the idea that there is not enough blessing, that there's not enough to go around. There's not enough love. There's not enough blessing. Apparently, there's not enough mandrakes. There is not enough to go around. It is a view through a tiny little lens of scarcity that we see. Jacob has not fully learned his lesson, apparently. He had, I mean, he had the tables turned on him by the tricksy uncle Laban. You say that like Gollum. It's a lot of fun, uh, but still hasn't grasped the concept of being a blessing to all people. Like he, he, he had it turned on him. Like you're supposed to catch on to something here, Jacob, but he's not picking up that blessing to all nations, which brings us to our implication. Accepting God's call on your life does not magically stop you from making messes. You still have to put in the effort required to mature. Oof. I don't want to put in effort. I, want, I just want, like, I, I say the Jesus prayer and, and I, I say, yep, God, cool. I'll do what you want. And then everything gets magically better, right? <laughs> Not so much. Still requires for me to put in the effort, the hard work to mature. Jacob accepted that call from God. He puts up that stone, right? That's God's call in his life to be a blessing to all nations and carry on the legacy of the covenant with Abraham. But when he runs into this family conflict here, he falls right back into his old habits of avoidance and blame shifting and using his words to get out of things. It's his old tricks. It's his old stuff. And it continues into next week when Rob's going to talk about a bunch of sheep. Uh, a lot of, there's a lot of wool. Um, 
in next week's sermon, but uh, it, it continues. Like he just doesn't, he's fallen right back into his old patterns. The minute he hits something difficult. And the question is how, how often have you seen that happen in your life? As you're walking with God and then something happens and suddenly you are back at square one, it feels like. And you look around and you say, how on earth did this happen? I mean, for us, the God's call starts with us accepting Christ. But just because you've accepted Christ does not mean that you're done making messes. I make messes all the time. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians talks about having righteousness through faith in Christ. He says it this way. <clears throat> not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you, uh, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Uh, probably in the form of multiple wives or some other spiritual two by four hitting you in the head saying, do you get it now? Have you figured it out yet? He has a tendency to do that. God's, God's consistent like that. So let's take, let's take what Paul says about maturing and let's apply that to some next steps here. <clears throat> let's look at how we can stop making some messes. Maybe first one is wrestle with the question. Am I putting down the tools of my past? Jacob falls back into blame shifting and avoiding the conflict. Uh, and later we'll see him do more lies and manipulation and deception He's fallen right back into his old tools that he, when, when he, when he's pressed, he falls back on these things. These are his coping skills. We talked about maladaptive coping skills a couple weeks ago, right? These, these are his maladaptive coping skills. These are the things that Jacob falls back on when he's presented by a hard situation and he hasn't built up the strength to not resort to those. So we ask ourselves, am I putting down the tools of my past? What are the tools that I have back that I fall onto? And I, I actually resonate a lot with Jacob. Uh, the, the talking my way out of things, uh, blame shifting. Uh, there, there are stories from my childhood with my brothers that could make you cringe. <clears throat> uh, all right, fine. Fine, Rob, you've goaded me enough. I said I wasn't going to put this on the internet, but now I am. I suppose I can go back and I can edit it later. Uh, <laughs> I know the guy who does the editing. Uh, so, for example, uh, Logan, young Logan, uh, might have been angry at his brother one time, uh, like around age, I don't know, probably like, I was probably like eight, nine, wasn't very old. Um, and, uh, I had a pocket knife and I decided to carve my brother's name into the back of my dresser the day before I knew we were moving stuff around in the room. 
So I knew that my dad would find my brother's name carved into the back of my dresser. And what rational person would carve his brother's name into the back? Like, obviously, it was my brother that had done this. And then my brother got a whooping. Which is devious on so many levels. Like I'm, I'm uh, part of me is a little proud of that. Like eight year old me, like you sneaky devil. But also part of me is like, what the heck? That is not okay. That no, it's not Scott. It is not okay. Like I know we're proud of me for doing that, but it's not okay. Like framing somebody for, Ooh man, that is so not okay. I resonate with Jacob. I, I get this. Um, so when I look back, like, what are, what are the tools that I fall back on when I'm presented with conflict, when I'm presented with things that are hard, when I'm in a situation that I don't like, what are the things that I fall back on? What are the things that make me feel better, that make me feel safe? Is it anger? Is it talking my way out of it? Is it blame shifting? Is it scapegoating? Is it uh, numbing myself with a Netflix binge or, or something else? Like what, what, it, what do I use? What are the tools of my past that I need to put down? Apparently the pot, yeah, I don't <laughs> pocket, put the pocket knife down. You know, I think I've, I know my parents have heard that story, but they're going to hear it again when they hear this. And then I'm going to catch flack for that again. I did not think this through, Rob. I did not think this through. It's fine. It's, we're all fine. How am I going to cope with this? Anyway, what do I turn to? Uh, no, but it, it's serious. So back, back to, back to the apostle Paul. So Forgetting what lies behind, we have to put down the tools of the past. We have, to, we have to make an active decision to not turn to those things. The ways that I cope with things, I have to make an active decision not to. I have to develop a new muscle, a new habit. That takes us to our second next step, which says, uh, wrestle with this question. Am I living in a manner that reflects the forgiveness that I've received. A lot of the times we pick up those tools to deal with things because we've learned how to cope with the messiness in our past, right? Uh, the other thing that we do is we let ourselves be defined by that messiness, those past mistakes. I could let the, the jerk of a brother that I was define who I am and define the relationship that me and my brother have. Uh, and for many years, we did not get along. We fought like cats and dogs. That might have been one of the more okay things that we did to each other. Uh, it was World War III in many ways. But we get along a lot better now. And we're both doing better at letting the things in the past stay in the past. So we're called like... Ask yourself, am I living in a manner that reflects the forgiveness? When we accept Christ, when we live in Christ, we, we accept that upward call of God. The old dies. It's dead and buried. It doesn't come out of the grave with us. 
But if I let myself constantly be tethered to it and drag it along, it makes it really hard to move forward. The Apostle Paul is probably the best example of this. The guy was a murderer. He had literal skeletons in his closet, figuratively. <laughs> literal skeletons in his closet, figuratively. Anyway, the guy's a murderer, but he, like, he has to learn to let that go so that he can then fulfill God's call on his life. Forgetting what lies behind, letting the past be the past to move forward. Wrestle with that question. So that's kind of letting the past, forgetting what lies behind. Let's talk about what it looks like to move forward. Our last next step is to actively pursue spiritual growth. This looks like LTG. This looks like care group. This looks like being discipled by people. This looks like discipling others. When we're in care group and we're the mature, part of our spiritual growth, part of my, my path to grow spiritually is I need to be discipling others. I can't allow myself to just sit there and, and be fed by everyone. I need to disciple others in order for me to grow and mature. This looks like letting people invest in you and actively pursuing that relationship with God, spiritual disciplines, getting in the text, getting in community, letting people disciple you, but it doesn't accidentally happen. I've never accidentally matured in spirituality. Uh, it doesn't, ha you have to put in the effort. If you don't put in the effort for these things uh, to, to put down the past tools, to let things remain in the past and not be dominated by your history. Uh, if you don't actively put in the effort to grow spiritually, then what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself in Jacob's shoes. You're going to be looking around saying, gosh, what a mess. How did that happen? Shucks, how'd this get so screwed up? It requires me, it requires you to put in the effort to mature. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.